Welcome back for another episode of the AltMed podcast. Uh, it's, as always, Mitch Kurtz, my co-host in the seat next to me, virtually, of course. Um, and we have two wonderful guests today joining us um, from different parts of the world. We have over in Perth from Health House International, Paul Mavo Maverick. I don't know. We, we'll go Maybe. with Mavo. Um, and, we, and we'll get to why we say that in a little bit and over in barcelona i hope i've got that right uh, we have david atwood from can farmer in europe welcome paul and david hey everyone hey. um so you start with a bang yeah <laughs> as we always do um we might start with you paul um you were at least you know from from my research and uh an involvement in in the medicinal cannabis space Definitely one of the first companies that I saw, if not the first, um, in Health House International. Perhaps if you can tell us a little bit about your background um, and about Health House and, and how it came to be the uh, the maverick in the space. Sure. Yeah, well, we were definitely the first to import cannabis into Australia under this new legal system. And I fell on upon it quite by accident because I stumbled across uh, medicinal cannabis early in the piece and I thought this is going to be absolutely massive but not for 10 or 15 years. And then lo and behold, several months later, the, the laws changed thanks to, to others and it went straight through parliament and I found myself in the thick of it. And um, there was a real opportunity to get um, products to Australian patients. And I had made a lot of contacts overseas, attending conferences and traveling to other jurisdictions and looking at grow rooms and meeting scientists and had access to some world-class product from Canada um, from one of the companies over there, um, Prairie Plant Systems, who um, they produced one of the first um, oils for the Canadian market. And we imported that into Australia and it, it came flying through. It took a little bit of time to set up because one of the first international exports from Canada was actually one of the first um, globally from in this new wave of um, cannabis. And the health minister at the time, Greg Hunt, was literally on the phone to me, pestering me how Paul, how quickly can you import this um, cannabis to help <laughs> patients? And um, at the time, we um, went and picked up the order, um, only a small shipment, and I shook all the customs guys' hands, and, and they said, look, normally we're, we're trying to catch guys like you trying to bring <laughs> cannabis into the country, but um, it was a bit of a laugh, and uh, I, I took a selfie and sent it to the health minister. The sneaky um, pharmacists. With, with the logo, the, the eagle has landed, which is used since when the, a pallet load of um, COVID injections landed into Australia. But, um, did, um, did, he, um, <laughs> did he request that you come and visit him and show him the products and, you know, maybe do a bit of a sample exercise at Parliament House? Or how, how did that all go down? No, he didn't. I, I pretty much texted him and um, I never met him in, in person. And we... Um, I've since met him because he's very supportive of research. I've introduced a few researchers to him and he's very supportive of that space, uh, which is good because I think Australia is really leading the way in a lot of areas because we've got access to GMP product um, and there's this big appetite for not only the regulator but some of the, the politicians uh, as well as funding for some really great research projects, which is a whole other webinar topic. Well, I've just got a query on timing because I, I know that um, a lot of people in Australia who have sort of 
um, supported the space um, even before legalization of, of medicinal cannabis. Um, I think, well, we've spoken previously. So this was around about 2017 that you got that first import in. Yep. And I, my recollection is that the, you know, the different states and territories around Australia, um, it was a bit like a domino effect, um, watching them all uh, enact legislation to, um, to make it available, which I'm just curious, which uh, part of Australia did that very first um, import go to? Well, the, the first shipment actually went to, to Queensland. Um, there was a palliative care doctor over there who I'm still in touch with. And at, at the time, some of the various state health departments you know, had no idea what cannabis was. And in the case of most of them, they classed it um, um, at a very, very high level. And in West Australia, they introduced some regulations around based on um, dexamphetamine, which at the time there was thousands of prescriptions for <laughs> And they wanted to decrease the number because a lot of it was being diverted. And um, I'm proud to say I've not seen one instance of, of cannabis being diverted to the wrong people. Um, patients are getting it um, like any medicine. There is a potential, but they they put some very strict guidelines on it since they made it specialist prescribing only. And it was about a two-month process for patient access. In the case of palliative care patients, they want access straight away because they're in a lot of pain mm. and this may benefit. So some of the early patients, uh, they, they did it tough and, and I'm ashamed to say it, it didn't get to them, but some of the regulators have, have since learned the sky hasn't fallen in and yeah. this can really help the right patients uh, for certain medical conditions. And it's gotten a whole lot better. Uh, in most cases, it's gone from specialist only to GP prescribing and there's pretty much a 24 hour turnaround. And the fastest we've heard of is a, a three minute approval from one application with wow uh, those barriers are in place now but i think moving forward it's going to get even better and easier, even easier for patients we're, we're seeing uh, a world of changes and I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen in your time in the industry as well absolutely absolutely and it might be worth uh, at this point also getting a little background on on david and uh, how he got into the can pharma and cannabis space in general over in spain well, um, yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. And um, I mean, I guess as everyone's already picked up I, uh, from my accent. I'm, I'm not Spanish. Um, <laughs> I, I am based in Barcelona. I, I came here nearly, nearly 20 years ago to, to study an MBA and uh, ended up staying. I mean, uh, going way back prior to, the, prior to the MBA, I qualified as a chartered accountant uh, with PwC, but after the MBA, I've done a number of regulated industries. I worked first in uh, renewable energy, um, and then vaping. And uh, I say I say regulated industries, but they're all they're disruptive disruptive sectors in regulated industries. So innovation. I was looking around, was looking around for for something new, and fixed on, looked at cannabis, dug into it, thought this, this is not going away. This is a, a plant, a medicine that is going to, uh, has been hidden away from patients for a long time and the evidence will build and this will happen. So I, I, I stepped across to a company called Prohibition Partners, which uh, is a sort of a leader in insights within the market. And I, I uh, set up their, their consulting team there. And then having having told a lot of my clients that the, the only market of scale in Europe is Germany and the place to uh, create value was in distribution, finding a route to, finding a route to patient. 
I was lucky enough to to meet uh, the the German founders of of Camp Pharma, um, two of whom live in Barcelona as well, and uh, so I, I started talking to them, and I and I, I moved across to them at the beginning of last year, and so I sit in Barcelona, but we also have operations here uh, through Calapa Clinic, which is a medical cannabis consultancy, uh, Europe's first, in fact, Europe's first medical cannabis consultancy that provides education to patients and uh, healthcare professionals. We, um, Spain, medical cannabis is not yet legal, so we can't prescribe there, but um, we provide online services in six languages across Europe um, out, of, out of Barcelona. And um, on the, the Can Pharma side, Can Pharma is a, a distributor of medical cannabis, as I say, in, in, in Europe's only, only market of, of scale, which is still just starting, it's still nascent, but um, Germany is, uh, has legalized medical cannabis 2017. And there is, there is broad prescribing ability, but in any market requires uh, doctor education and uh, patient education. And that's what, uh, that's what Can Pharma's all about, not only distribution, but, but adopting a holistic view, a holistic approach to the, the patient. So as I say, I, I stepped across at the, uh, beginning of 2020 and uh as you as you've uh, the reason i'm here today is that uh, we, we've entered into uh, an agreement where health house will uh, will buy us and uh will be part of the, the bigger group which is uh, something we're we're all really looking forward to and, and leveraging experience off the group which is as paul's built up uh, down there in australia yeah fantastic were you going to say something, Andrew? Because I think uh, this is a very interesting area. I know it's a bit of an interest area for you, the export market, and the uh, it gets it gets raised a bit in Australia. This kind of import versus export uh, scenario. And um, did you want to ask a question on that? You're on mute. Oh, oh you're on mute. I put myself on mute. Um, perils of living uh, opposite a fire station. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I I was going to ask just about, I mean, the timing's interesting, Germany and Australia both legalizing in 2017, but it's, it's, you know, it's refreshing to hear that although we are a nascent market that, you know, that there are insights perhaps from our experience in Australia to be learned in, in, uh, in other emerging markets. Um, I'm just, yeah, very interested in, um, I guess maybe, both of you can can speak to um, this idea of uh, Australian LPs exporting to the world. Um, uh, maybe first, Paul, if I can get your um, thoughts on on what Health House's plans are or areas of interest, and then maybe David, if you can also chime in with um, any insights you have of uh, the German market or any other European markets. So. Australia actually, just a slight correction, Australia actually legalised in February 2016. We passed the law and it wasn't until later on in 2016 where the, um, the law was enacted, but we had no products. Uh, but one thing the Australian government actually did well, they outlined a system for cultivation, manufacturing and export licences, uh, as well as import licences. And they set up a very robust system and some high standards. And one of the first conferences I went to there was a girl there who worked for the TGA looking at how they test cannabis. And that's so important to have a standard. So when the regulators allowed companies to set up to manufacture, everything's made to a very high standard, which is important because it, it fits in very nicely to a pharmaceutical product. And a lot of other countries haven't done that. They've just rolled it out how you can 
make medical cannabis and there's no inherent standards, but it's actually really um, been a useful thing because a lot of cannabis from Australia that's been exported globally has fared very well in legal jurisdictions such as Germany and the UK where it is highly sought after because it's of a very high standard, like a lot of uh, agricultural products we actually export from here. So the future is quite bright in that respect. Now uh, we've got some really good standards that, are, that the TGA monitor and um, there's a big opportunity to export, and particularly the fact that uh, we can get export permits to anywhere globally. Um, there, there's no um, problems in dealing with the federal government in that respect. So that they've, they've um, set up a really good system. That's excellent to hear. Um, and David, uh, what what can you tell us about this? Um, you know, this German market that we're starting to see emerge. Um, it seems very exciting. I've seen um, a number of companies. I think ANTG announced a, a big deal, export deal to Germany. What um, what can you tell us about uh, what's happening over there? But yeah, Germany is a is an exciting market. As I, as I said, it's been it's been legal for. A couple of years now, but um, it's all it was almost legalized from the top down because uh, the government uh, under under pressure put legalized medical cannabis, but it was classified as a magistral formulation, which means that if you think back to the old movies where where a pharmacist is grinding up uh, grinding up product, that that at its at a as a conceptual level is how it's done in Germany. So. It restricts the form of products that can be uh, prescribed to, to mainly sort of flour and, and, and oil. Um, to date, it's been a, a flour market, but we, we believe that, and I believe before I, before I joined Camp Pharma, that look, medical cannabis is not gonna scale at any level until doctors can prescribe something that looks like a medicine. And uh, dried flour is, has its place, definitely has its place within the uh, our portfolio and within uh, the, sort of the doctor's uh, range of products can describe, but really until people start, until patients as well can see something they feel comfortable with, um, then that's going to be be extracts. Other form factors uh, are, are trickier to get into the German system, but uh, that's, that's its uniqueness and there's sort of a lot of innovation around uh, what can be prescribed and, and obviously the market will develop. And in that in that developing period, we're we're getting going to get a lot of insights about patients and uh, uh, real world data, um, analyzing uh, how different indications, understand the regulators, get educated. I mean, it's at a, a fascinating stage. The market um, uh, it's it's really really building. End of last year, uh, last quarter of last year, I think it was three and a half tons of, uh, of flour imported, and probably a similar amount from memory. The the quarter before so we're seeing we're seeing uh, uh reimbursements from insurance companies tick up as well so things are building but uh more than anything it's it's as i, I say again it's a nascent stage so it's a fascinating time as regulators patients doctors and people like us all learn about and have to sort of weave their way through that um that that early stages of market development um but the potential is huge i mean it's 80 million plus 80, 85 million uh, uh, population of Germany. So of Europe, it's one of the biggest markets is the market that's um, been developed for the longest. So it's, uh, yeah, as I said, when I, when I left Prohibition, I put my money where my mouth was and, and joined the distributor in Germany. So and I, and I'm very pleased in, in retrospect, I, I did. 
That's great. Is it um, is it prescription only? Uh, it's probably to throw you on the spot there. Do you know, like in terms of access, is is it difficult over in Germany or? It's, it's difficult in the sense of any market that you've got to find doctors who are comfortable with prescribing. And so there is a, a really small, uh, a, a really small percentage of, of doctors that actually have prescribed or an even smaller one that are, are willing to prescribe. But that just shows the, the market potential through education. Um, once and once it's been prescribed, then it needs to be reimbursed. And there is a, I mean, there is a, unfortunately, for, for patients, there is a, a, a significant part of the market where patients pay their own, pay for their own prescription. Um, but, and I think, I haven't seen the latest data, but it's around two thirds of, only two thirds of uh, applications for, for reimbursement are, go through. So there is a mechanism there um, and it's, and it, and it will improve, but it's, it's all, to, it's all to come. But, um, but uh, if, sorry, the, the, yeah, I think, I think, did I answer the question now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, maybe, oh, sorry, you go, Mitch. I was just going to say, in terms of products, when you're saying, um, you know, things that, that look pharmaceutical, that remind, you know, a patient of walking into a pharmacy as opposed to potentially something that maybe looks like you're walking into the herb section of your fruiterer. Um, are, are you talking about um, oils, capsules? What, what, what types of forms for, you know, people I find uh, that listen in are very interested in, in the types of products that are out there and very curious to get your take on what might work in the German market. If it's, is it topicals? Is it, uh, you know, is it vape type products? And, be very keen to learn a bit more about what that looks like in Europe. So at the moment, it's just flour and, and extracts that sort of taken under the uh, orally. Um, that, that's the real uh, product mix, I think. I think that's any, of, of any, any significant scale in the German market, that's, that's all there is. And, and, I, and I go back and say, look, flour has, has its place. I mean, for a quick onset, um, mm baked baked product um, that's that's definitely has its has its place in the market but for wider wider patient uh, populations that uh, may need pain or I mean I think around 70% of the German market prescriptions are for the pain related uh, uh, prescriptions and and obviously that's an older generally an older patient group who mm. feel more comfortable putting something underneath their tongue than they would uh, vaping or smoking but but it's uh, across the across the board. So some of the other fact, uh, some of the other uh, product formats that you mentioned, uh, capsules or maybe vaping, vaping in the sense of electronic uh, vaping of that, that needs to find a way into the magistral system. Um, so it's, it's all about innovation and what, what can be done within that, within that system. So yeah, we're look, we are looking at other form factors, um, but we're, we're a little bit restrained by the uh, regulatory regulatory system which which in all markets such as this will evolve as well so um, i'm not saying in a couple of years time you won't be able to have uh, sublingual wafers or or uh mm. or yeah. apps, but at the moment that's that's not possible and it's actually in, yeah oh, you go andrew. you go andrew uh, <laughs> i was gonna say to paul uh, you know um I guess we're not as constrained by those parameters and there's quite an array now of products Available. Mm. Still not seeing topicals, really. I know. Yeah, um, no, right. I've been I've been <laughs> spruiking topicals for the last two or three years. Spruik away. I used the word spruik a lot. <laughs> um, but um, 
I'm told there's there's a couple on their way. Um, it's not too long because we've got um, cannabinoid receptors all over our skin, and I've heard anecdotal stories that they're a great benefit to patients, particularly in areas of pain and a few skin conditions. I'd like to see them for myself. Um, it's a great area. But getting back to what you were talking about previously, I think oils are, are really popular in Australia now, but I think the future is in capsules because there's a lot of complaints from people from the taste. Uh, people um, don't like leaving it under the tongue for five or so minutes till it dissolves uh, if they can just take a capsule. And particularly with some of the elderly patients, they have to navigate the adult-proof lid uh, on the liquid. They can draw it up with uh, measurement they can barely see on the syringe. Uh, then they have to put it under their tongue um, and taste, it tastes awful, I'm told. Instead, they could just put a capsule in their mouth and in some cases get better by availability. And uh, a lot of elderly patients are on a lot of medication, um, up to 10 different types of tablets, sometimes multiple times a day. And... A lot of medication they receive, they receive in these little blister packs or sachets or they call them Webster packs um, or dose set boxes, whereas it's a whole lot easier to put a, a cannabis-containing capsule in there, particularly if you're getting better bioavailability. It's good for patient compliance. Uh, there's a whole lot of pluses there, but we're not quite there yet. There's a couple of CBD capsules on the market. Um, there's a, a bunch coming soon with uh, containing THC. Uh, I think some of the, the new novel dosage forms are quite exciting uh, that we're going to be seeing in the future. Mm. That's excellent. I, I'm, I also think even with the, you know, maybe um, I'd like to think quite a few of our listeners, the, the small number that enjoy our podcast, um, you know, they might be taking tincture products and, you know, when they dose, it's, I just, I, I'm still always, saying to people that you're going to get a more precise and fixed dose from a capsule than, you know, kind of going by the eye on a tincture bottle. But um, then of course the, um, you know, the, the difficulty in dosing vaping and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting discussion. Um, are you actually out of interest vaping? Is that something that you've dealt with much Paul here in Australia? Yeah, um, I actually, um, I didn't sell hardly any vape cannabis for a long time, but I think ANTG rewrote the record book because um, <laughs> because it was so much in demand in Germany that the Australian patients prescribed and started to look at it as a, um, a treatment option. It really set the market ablaze here, um, literally. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think everything has its place, um, but certainly... What we're seeing is not every patient wants to inhale something. It, it, it's probably not appropriate for the very elderly or for small children uh, and people with low lung capacity. But certainly for breakthrough pain, it is a, a certainly treatment option in there that shouldn't be disregarded. But mm. um, getting back to capsules, from a compliance point of view, sometimes other people need to watch people take their medication. So if you can see there's a safe blister pack with a capsule gone and it's nowhere uh, lurking around can be reasonably sure it's down someone's gob, whereas the oil, uh, it's not so not so easy. And there was a patient of ours that he just couldn't take it. He just, it was too bitter for him. And his wife literally had to take the oil out and put it in the capsule and, and then he actually got really good benefits. So, yeah, there's a, there's a number, yeah, well. of, number of pluses and number of cons to most dosage forms. 
I've actually got one question just on the vaping as a pharmacist, you're the perfect person to ask, in fact, but um, in terms of the actual instrument used, the medical device for vaping, uh, is it, am I right in understanding that those products are themselves a scheduled uh, device that you would Absolutely. need? Yeah. In every case, or because, you know, you, you do see certain devices that technically you could put cannabis oil in if you, it, if you understand what I'm saying, there's vape, say nicotine, uh, products out there that you could refill with oil so to speak and there's a lot of confusion people asking that question a lot well why can't i just use x vape for for you know my oil or repurpose it myself what's uh, your viewpoint on that um well a lot of the oils that they have for oral formulation aren't designed to be vaped um particularly olive oil you know, it doesn't necessarily combust so um they really do need to use a flower product and the vape and there is I believe one product that's approved on the Australian Therapeutic Goods Register as a medical device. Uh, I think it was one at last count, but uh, there are some devices there that patients can access quite readily. Okay, fantastic. And I think um, another area that I definitely wanted to touch on was, um, and we were talking about this just before we jumped on, but that kind of potential for cannabis to take over in a similar way from the opioid uh, kind of production from Tasmania, for example, you know, where we're really um, one of the primary producers of that, uh, um, you know, if you don't really include Afghanistan and the, and the rest of that um, in terms of the medical market for opioids um, and looking at, anything at cannabis to take out. Um, don't think there's anything GMP happening in Afghanistan just uh, by the by, but anyway, um, yeah, that Afghani GMP. They, they do grow it, but it might be diverted to the wrong forces. But, um, but yeah, it came as a real surprise to me that uh, Tasmania grows uh, or has grown between 50 and 70% of the, the opium poppies that are used to make these nasty opioids, which I'm always bagging um, in the marketplace that um, um, cannabis is starting to take their market share. But also there's price dropping from... Uh, that the the, grow, the cultivators of uh, opium poppies are being paid. And there's other jurisdictions around the world that are starting to grow them. So uh, a lot of these farmers are looking at replacing their crops with uh, cannabis-based crops uh, as that market takes off and it becomes more valuable. But one really interesting thing is they've grown opium poppies for years outdoors and it's processed with American money and they're there's a thinking that maybe you don't need to grow cannabis indoors. You can potentially grow it outdoors given the right circumstances. And um, that part of it is really interesting. Uh, not my area, but um, I think Australia has got a really good record of having um, pure agricultural things that are exported and test pretty well, particularly given our close proximity to some of the nearby massive Asian markets who have used cannabis traditionally for thousands of years and uh, we, we are looking at exporting in those particular markets, which is quite exciting. Yeah, well, I, that's actually why it was called weed, because uh, it grew like weeds in, in, the, in the right circumstances. It, it just mm. grows crazily. So it, it definitely can see that. And Australia has a, a kind of landscape. I'm not sure about how, I actually don't know how well Tasmania as a, maybe it is at producing poppies, uh, poppy seeds down there, or poppy rather. But um, definitely up north, it, you could see some of the, those crops uh, getting if some only, great yeah. sunshine. And yeah, if only we yeah. made amendments to our like the microbial limits on plants, because I know that yeah, in those 
sort of more tropical regions, there's more of a potential for, for fungal and then mold and, and these sorts of things. And um, yeah, we have such strict parameters in this, in this country around what's allowable um, such that many companies, uh, you know, resorting to radiating their crops and, and these sorts of measures. Um, hence we've had flower shortages. I'm sure you're, you've seen all of this play out, Paul. <laughs> Well, I think a lot of people are still gearing up their production facilities. Uh, we're, we're still pretty new to this. Um, people, uh, in some cases, haven't grown cannabis at scale, uh, are learning um, from their mistakes. And as much as anything else, it might be expensive mistakes, but um, it, it's still a pretty new industry. But there's um, certainly hope and potential. And a lot of these places have more people working in their quality control section they have in their cultivation section. So mm. to get a product to market, you know, it takes a lot of work. It's easy to grow cannabis at small scale, I'm told, but to grow uh, like a, a massive scale that's economical um, is a, a very um, skillful uh, process that it needs someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, uh, I think about... You know, when we're comparing it just before to, to poppy and opioids, for example, there's, we do hear quite a few people saying, oh, you know, we're not even producing enough for the local market. Um, why would we be exporting to places like Germany? But then on the other side, you think, well, have a look at the price of an opioid medicine versus the price of a, you know, a cannabis medicine currently in Australia. And in my head, the more we produce, the quicker we get to scale, the quicker we bring down those prices. So um, when, you, when you think about that at scale, that, that's immediately where mine go, my mind goes to. Is there any commentary on that that you might say? I, I think, I think the, uh, a lot of people are racing towards our flower market and that's gonna become very crowded very quickly because it is uh, a small market, as David said. It's learning and uh, leaning towards something which is more pharmaceutically elegant i like to call it um so that has been processed into an oil uh, or a capsule um there's some great dosage forms coming through hopefully some topicals soon yeah you yeah, can see it's you're just rearing at the bit for a couple of topicals yeah we need some dermatologists to um to really uh embrace I, i'm sure there already would be perhaps a few around the country but i i just I haven't seen the proliferation yet of um, of topicals containing. For even topical pain, I, I found out quite recently that uh, topical Voltaren or Diclofenac only works in about 10% of cases, which is pretty crap, really. If you bought a product and nine times out of 10, it ain't going to work. I'd yeah. be pretty disappointed. But I have heard some preliminary uh, medicinal cannabis products have got far better results than that, you know, up around that 50% mark that, that it works, which is... It's sensational for people that are suffering. It's amazing then that that medicine actually gets entered on the um, Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods when there's such a poor efficacy case. But um, anyway, uh, that's just Andrew's little side commentary there. I want to talk to you guys <laughs> about um, some synergies between, um, yeah, between Health House and, and Can Pharma. I guess hearing from you before, David, talking about how you're based in Barcelona, but you're in a country where it's not yet legal. Um, and through Calapa, you're basically undertaking a, you know, the very noble duty of educating the public and, and getting everyone on board for when that moment comes. But yeah, what are some of the, um, I guess, the, the plans going forward that, um, that you guys have that, of course, we can speak to? I don't want to raise anything that's, uh, that's under wraps. <laughs> Um, I, I think, well, I mean, we look, we, we, 
I've gone on and on about uh, Germany being the, the only market of scale. And so I think certainly we bring a, a piece of the puzzle that Health House uh, didn't, didn't have before. Um, we are, have an op, I mean, Spain will open up at some point. I'm not, I'm not taking bets on exactly when, but um, it's going to be my you, know, you know how these markets, you know how these markets go, but Spain is 45 million people and it's the only, the only big country within Europe that doesn't have a program. So hmm. the direction of travel, the direction of travel is clear. Spain will open up at some point and we think we're, we're well positioned due to our, our reputation and understanding within within that market. So um, that's I think what we bring, and the some of the stuff we can do jointly. I said is, is medical education. We are Calapa uh, does provide consultancy to patients. It's just that um, when we're not on the market, they can actually prescribe. But we will be leveraging that experience into Germany and uh, and then sort of providing that holistic. Um, uh, understanding of the patient, um, working with, and, and I think sort of the back and forth across markets, because I'll say it again, the, these markets are already forming. So um, the, 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 the understanding between us and Paul and, and how the UK will open up is uh, uh, obviously Health House is positioned in the UK, um, the UK tiny, tiny market at the moment, but longer term again, the direction of travel is clear. So having that spread and that experience across different markets, I think is a, is a great synergy. Um, Paul has amazing uh, contacts with manufacturers and we hope to be able to, to, to leverage that in, into Germany as well. And we are, I mean, not, we're not only a, not only, but we're, we're, we are a cannabis distributor, but we're one of the few cannabis uh, players in Germany with full uh, GMP manufacturing license, which enables us to uh, put our own brand product in the market, but other people's release other people's products into the market as well. So that provides us with a, a springboard that provides us health house and third party brands with a with a springboard into the German market. So I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, Paul's got great experience uh, there. And, and I'm so we're looking forward to, to seeing these these move together and, and being poised being poised for a European platform because, as I say, Spain will open up. Calapa Clinic works across uh, across Europe, and um, so our yeah, we're we're just sort of we're we're waiting for the the different markets to scale, but we we will be there to take opportunities as and when they arise. So I think I think that's what I'm looking forward. Um, Paul, 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 what about you? Well, I, I think Germany is a beachhead in, into Europe for Australian medicinal cannabis. So I'm a bit one-sided here and patriotic in that respect, but. Um, Having the partnership with Can Pharma is really exciting because they understand the German market and there's 14 different states and 14 different jurisdictions and laws and it, it can be quite confusing. So it's handy to have David and his team uh, as part of our, our group moving forward. And uh, yeah, we're, a lot of our, our suppliers were actually super excited because some of them have been trying to navigate themselves, but they've got this great product um, that would be really good to export and and get the sales into Europe because it's a quality product that uh, is of a you know, global standard that um, we're hoping to export at scale from the same. Excellent. And is there um, my? Uh, it'd be remiss of me not to ask this, but my my twin brother is actually based in France. Um, you got sixty seven million people there. What's the any insights on what's going on over there and? 
perhaps you know any changes that they need to make to to sort of get the cred that that Germany does. Um, France. I mean, I know it got knocked off a bit by by COVID, but I I don't know exactly when it starts. But the, France has started its uh, three year pilot program. So, I mean, the the French government took advice, uh, went through lots of hearings, and decided to uh, uh, take an evidence based approach to their further legalization. So, by that the by that I mean a certain a certain number of manufacturers and producers of of cannabis required to give their product away for free and uh and then then they'll they'll give it to a certain number of patients and collect evidence on that over over a three-year period um i think it started last year or early this year so it's going to take time for that to open but look all of us who are in the cannabis industry definitely believe in the potential of the plant and so one can only assume uh that the, the results of that pilot project will be positive for the industry as a whole and that France will, will scale after, after that point. How and, how and when um, and who, who's going to be there is, is all up for grabs. So three years is a years is, uh, long, long time in the cannabis sector. Oh, yeah. And so the, I'm sure the French industry will evolve in ways that, that we didn't expect it, but, but certainly being on the ground in Europe, being a... Uh, sort of, in touch with with patients in in France and and being next to them, next to France through Germany and the Spain, we'll, we'll, this definitely a, a prize we'll be looking for as as the opportunities as the opportunities come up. But um, you're right. I mean, six, do you say 67 million people? Yeah. There's uh, a huge unserved patient population, and and we hope that uh, they can get product as as, as quickly as possible. Yeah, the domino effect happening globally. There's so many jurisdictions that that it fits quite nicely in, into the system when sold through pharmacies. Um, it, it takes regulators a while to get their head around it, but once once that clicks, that you know it's the same as any other you know pharmaceutical molecule. Um, yeah, it's it's exciting times, and you know it, it's not currently legal yet in Spain, but it, it's only a matter of time. Yeah, yeah, and. I- I've got um, just a question I was thinking about just then. You know, we're obviously all Australian. We have Australian listeners. We think about things in Australian terms a lot of the time in terms of when we're importing products, which most of the market is still currently over here. Uh, we think about, you know, a lot of it's Canadian. Um, there is some European products. There are some things starting to come in from Africa, the Caribbean, places like this, um, some South America as well. How do Germans receive Australian products when compared to, say, Canadian products or, or elsewhere that, that that might arrive on their shores? Especially considering that um, you do have this other movement of products that can come from, say, America or in that kind of novel food uh, range in Europe um, that is is not the same as medical, obviously, but is very much a, a competing industry. I'm just curious. There's kind of two questions wrapped up in there, but um, um, yeah, any any thoughts on that would be very interested to hear. Um, I think to to address, I think part of the second the second question first. I I mean, we do regulated products into the regulated channels, so uh, it's pharmaceutical prescribed by prescribed by a doctor, yep. um, supplied by a pharmacist, and and so the. The U.S. Uh, as yet is unable because of the sure. federal uh, ban is, is not able to, to supply 
some of the OTC products, I mean, yes, they, they could be said to be competing in the same way that sort of aspirin is, uh, can compete with, with some other, other pain relieving products. But, but I think the, the core of the medical cannabis market is, is, uh, is the competition is within the, the regulated channels. Um, I, I don't know, I don't know how to answer the question about how German patients uh, perceive Australian products, but I, I don't see why they would see it as any, any worse than it, if not better. I mean, the Australian system is closer to the German system in terms of what mm. Paul does, uh, what doctors do. Obviously, the Canadian system is a bit more akin to, I mean, they, the patients register. It's through a separate system to recreational, but um, I think perceptually it's uh, a less of a patient focus than, than the Australians. So, I mean, we're, I mentioned, like, I can't remember when I was talking about like how we were going to work together. What, what we're certainly excited for is to be able to bring some of the uh, products that Paul uses in Australia um, knows. And we have uh, the group, the, when we're finally a group, the group will have experience with to bring those into German and offer a wider range of uh, products that have been branded products that have been uh, adopted by patients in, in a, in a more similar market. So as I say, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, haven't, we haven't done any research in terms of uh, uh, country of origin perception, but um, I, I don't know why uh, there would be any, any, any different view on it or negative view on it. So, I mean, as long as, it, I mean, it's incredibly, I mean, we've been, we've been blooded in the battle of, uh, of regulatory, um, of, 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 regulatory uh, registration and uh, the German the German pharmaceutical regulator and, and this goes back to someone's point earlier about the the need for quality standards I mean it has to be of the highest standard uh, patients patient confidence and uh, and perception is incredibly important and any product coming from anywhere in the world has to jump through a lot of hoops in terms of where it's grown and the chain of custody through through GMP and equivalents and the uh, the, the, the Canadians have found problems or focus, problems of focus in getting their, their, some of their facilities up to EMG or registers EU GMP standard. Uh, but the, one of the advantages the Australians have is the mutual recognition of the, of the TGA uh, standards there. So that, that I think is a vote of confidence in the Australian industry. And I know, I know ANTG product was received really well in Germany and we suspect it would be a big success because our staff joke that when it comes into our warehouse that um, dogs follow the courier down the road because it smells absolutely <laughs> amazing. And I, I, um, I'm used to oils and capsules that don't smell at all, but um, the, the, it's got an amazing aroma that I'm sure uh, translates into a really efficacious product. Yeah. You can make really good uh, incense out of it, actually. <laughs> so um, one of the things about flour is uh, for the Australian market, the Australian government allow the flour to be plus or minus 20% of the stated content, but the German market is stricter, it's plus or minus 10%. And a lot of the, uh, I'm told, Canadian imports have been failing, where the Australian product is always bang on the money because our standards here are so high, which is a good thing. Yeah, that's impressive in the sense that there's always like been that discussion in our emerging market around stabilized genetics because you know a lot of these cultivation facilities are, are fairly new. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's very good to hear. 
Well, look, mindful, um, you know, that we've taken up a bit of your time, guys, but really just um, unless any final thoughts, um, just wanted to say thank you so much. I know organizing these things uh, around the world and getting everyone on at the same time uh, always comes with uh, its logistical challenges, but you've both been very accommodating and we're very grateful to have your insights and, and sharing your experiences. So thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks Don't for worry. having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, and we'll um, we'll be you know we know that that story about you being the the, the maverick importer in Australia and and it looks like um, you know more pioneering to be done over in in Germany and and beyond. So we'll be watching on with interest and uh, you know at some stage um, it'd be nice to uh, to check in and hear how it's all going. I'm not sure how my bad dad jokes are going to go down over there. Or- <laughs> They're very serious. So another, market, another market I'm really passionate about is the Asian markets, which I think is a subject for another. Uh, yeah, we, we'll do. We'll do Asia next time. Yeah, yeah. Thailand. I'm happy to. Thailand. Japan just announced legalization. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we'll have to do the podcast from there, uh, unfortunately. If we can't get topicals. <laughs> if we can't get topicals off the ground here, then I'm sure we can uh, just, you know, look. Good to be happy. <laughs> no, very Some good. Yucca, hay smoked, you know how they do that hay smoke thing, but with cannabis, you can actually do it um, like a yakitori <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> All right, Brilliant. guys. Well, thank you very much for being a part of the program. And yes, we absolutely look forward to having you back again, maybe in a few months or down the road when we open the day. Indeed. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye.